Mary, the girl at the centre of a world about to turn. A talk for the fourth Sunday of Advent. At last week's Ostwick Carol service, whilst we were calmly listening to the choir of St Paul's Cathedral's solemn, pious, silent night, Ava Booth, eight months and two weeks old, in her mum's arms on the front row, decided to join in the singing. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in I love moments like that when the pomp of our traditional services is punctuated by a healthy dose of reality and in this case a baby reminds us what the first Christmas night must really have sounded like as the newborn Jesus screamed for his mother's milk. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Oh really? Each time we sing words like these we distance ourselves further from the vital truth of the heart of Christmas that Jesus was a baby just like every other, born to an unexceptional mother, and that the real miracle is to be found in just that thing. Why are we so quick to put a halo on Mary when the good news would be far better pictured if we put an apron on her and showed her with her sleeves rolled up doing the ironing with one hand whilst holding in her other arm the child feeding at her breast, whilst most New mums can't exactly find the time to be looking their best. For some odd reason, we call Mary Immaculate. Why are we so keen to distance Mary's experience from that of every other mother by insisting that her first was a virgin birth? Whether or not it was is a side issue, for the real miracle is far more mundane and thus far more profound. For Mary herself gives voice to the real good news of Christmas. She expressed it so well in her very own words to Elizabeth, saying, He has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. The real good news of Christmas is that God comes to earth favouring the lowly, placing an ordinary country girl at the centre of a world about to turn. The power of Mary's story is that she intuitively grasps that God is in the business of transforming the tired old ways of the world by creating space for light to emerge from the darkness. Mary intuitively gets this as it dawns on her that God has chosen her, an ordinary teenage girl, to be the model for this transformation. One title which is very seldom given to Mary is the name Prophet. But a prophet she certainly is in a direct relationship with the prophets of old like Isaiah in proclaiming a message of comfort to the troubled broken people of the land. In anticipation of the prophetic ministry of Elizabeth's child John in announcing the arrival of the one who would bring the salvation of God. A prophet Mary certainly was for the song she joyfully sang in the house of Elizabeth as both women realised what God was doing through them, this song, which we call the Magnificat and dress up in lengthy choral pieces sung in Latin, is a prophecy. She speaks directly, as every prophet does, of the ills of the world and the revelation of the new thing which God is now doing in turning this world around. God, she says, 
in turning her life around reveals his pattern for the new world coming through his and her son. It's a pattern totally at odds with the world of patriarchy, for it places a young woman at its centre. It's a pattern completely opposed to the world of privilege, for it has the lowly at its heart. And it's a pattern which reveals the idolatrous lie of meritocracy in showing that being lifted up by God doesn't mean having to be uplifted from your working class roots. It means you being absolutely loved, valued, special, just where you are, wherever that is. Mary's prophecy is clear-eyed about God's priority for the poor over the rich, for she comes from poverty, but in this moment feels like the wealthiest girl alive. Mary's prophecy has rung through the ages as a song of hope for every woman longing for change in her damaged world, as an inspiration to every woman seeking the strength to make that change, as a celebration for every woman who has achieved some sort of turning in the world, it's a song which sings for every woman escaping a violent relationship, which celebrates with everyone who breaks a glass ceiling. Mary's prophecy has been well learned and applied by so many through history, from the 15th century peasant farmer's daughter Joan of Arc, inspired by visions to lead the struggle for her country in a time of war, to Dorothy Day, inspired by the self-sacrifice of neighbours during the San Francisco earthquake of 1906 to, in later life, establish the Catholic worker movement of pacifist Christian communities helping the poor and homeless and campaigning with and for them. Mary's prophetic vision will, I'm sure, be well known to a young woman called Becky Tyler, who the nation has warmly embraced since Grayson Perry selected a painting of hers for display at his Heart Club exhibition. Becky has quadriplegic cerebral palsy, which means she's unable to walk or use her mouth to talk, but Grayson Perry has called her a star for the digital artwork she creates with eye-tracking technology. Yes, she uses just her eyes to paint with. Becky describes herself as a Christian, teenager, eye-gaze artist, gamer, actress, preacher, but mostly very cheeky. Her voice is digital, and with it she has preached to six and a half thousand people at the annual Greenbelt Christian Arts Festival. In her sermon, she said, I used to feel that God didn't love me as much as other people because I'm in a wheelchair and nearly all the disabled people in the Bible get healed by Jesus so they were not like me. Then my mum showed me Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 which says, As I looked, the Ancient of Days took his throne, his clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. Its wheels were all ablaze, yeah! God's throne has wheels. God has a wheelchair. So now I know that God loves me a lot. In Becky's story, I hear echoes of Mary's song. I hear it also in young women of other faiths and backgrounds who entirely evoke the spirit of her words, whether Malala Yousafzai campaigning for women's education or Greta Thunberg calling for stronger action on climate change. Here are two lowly ones, now lifted up as pioneers of worldwide movements in their causes. Here are two 
who all generations may not universally call blessed, but whose voices no one can ignore. Mary's prophecy echoes through women's music of the ages, from the mystical compositions of the 12th century polymath Hildegard of Bingen to the rallying songs of the suffragettes, from Billie Holiday pausing for prayer before closing her shows with strange fruit, to the women of Greenham Common and those at B2 vigils uniting across the years in renditions of We Shall Overcome. This song of a girl in Nazareth continues to convey the power for everyday women to envision a different, better world, and in the very act of envisioning it, to begin to bring it about. The lives and testimonies of working class women have been largely obscured in history, mostly by being ignored or condescended to, or in Mary's case, by being elevated to the otherworldly, the queen of heaven, not a normal human. But Mary's prophecy sings out in defiance of all that. Let us listen now to Canticle of the Turning, a vigorous paraphrase of the Magnificat, which presents Mary as a country girl who is more than a meek maiden.
the nations rage from age to age we remember who holds us fast god's mercy must deliver us from the conqueror's crushing grasp this saving word that our forebears heard is the promise which holds us bound till the spear and rod can be crushed by god who is turning the world around my heart shall sing of the day you bring let the fires of your justice burn wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn my heart shall sing of the day you bring let the fires of your justice burn wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near